Welcome to the Whiskey and Lemon podcast. I am your co-host, Alana Mercedes. And I am your guest co-host, Noor Jahan Bolden. We are going to be talking about all kinds of things today, specifically trauma, gun violence. And I, you know, really wanted to have this conversation with you because you have this way of just like taking it from sadness to happiness and a very uh, fluid motion. <laughs> and I was really, really afraid to have this conversation. As I told you, I might cancel an hour before because I just didn't know if I was ready to have it, but I'm really yeah. excited to have the conversation and just want to let the audience know that we are going to be diving deep if you are not ready to hear something that falls into those categories. Yeah. And hopefully it'll be a healing conversation for everyone. And I want to give you a shout out for showing up despite the fear, man, I know how hard that is. And it's, that's what real courage is. So I'm so happy we're having this conversation. Thank you. Let's do it. Let's dive in. We were just diving into how we are doing with the state of the world right now. And I was just giving you a little, you know, replayback as to my anxiety levels going out places going to put gas in my car and staring at everyone. Like, why are you putting your hands in your pocket? And the pandemic being in lockdown has not helped, but I know seeing my family has definitely played a role in me feeling some sense of peace or just, you know, community when you're by yourself, you don't have any of that. So I want to yeah. jump right into what you were about to say. I realized we had to press record because you were getting into some really deep stuff, but tell <laughs> me how, how you're doing and how you're handling everything. Yeah, we were talking about news alerts on the phone. I think that's how yes. it came up. And I was saying how I don't, I don't turn on news alerts. I don't watch the news because when I'm, when I'm putting news alerts on or when I'm watching the news, I have no control about, you know, what's coming in and what's being mm -hmm. filtered out. So for me, I like to read news articles and I'll go over to my little news section and I'll scroll through. And I have to admit, because I'm a survivor of gun violence, I have a hard time avoiding anything that has mass shooting on it. So I'll end up inevitably clicking into the article and then I'll go down that deep tunnel of, you know, what exactly happened. And sometimes I'll go really deep into feeling, you know, what it might've been like for people who are going through that in the moment. Right. Um, but I was saying that now they do these weekend roundups of shootings over yeah. the weekend and to me, it's wild because it's actually, it's more coverage than usual. They used to just not cover gun violence unless it was breaking some kind of record, which unfortunately happened more regularly yeah. than we'd like to admit. But in right. 2020, there were more shootings. There was more gun violence in 2020 in this country than ever before. And we didn't hear a lot about it. But in the last couple of months, you know, since the beginning of 2021, we started hearing more and more and they've started reporting more and more. Mm -hmm. And it's so, of course it's disheartening. And of course it's important for people to know that this is happening so that we can be more aware of it so we can do something yeah. about it. But seeing those weekend roundups and just seeing how many shootings take place and how many mass shootings take place in this country every single day it's hard to avoid it. And it's hard not to let it impact your everyday life. So I was saying that I, I probably, it's probably time for me to take a break from my phone for a little bit yeah. because I don't avoid the news unless I'm avoiding my phone. 
And I'm using the word avoid, which isn't necessarily a healthy thing, but I do think it's important to be able to take breaks to center myself. Balance, right? Absolutely. You just can't take that constant input without being able to hit the reset button and check in with yourself and be like, okay, am I okay? How is this impacting my everyday life? How am I feeling when I go to the grocery store or go to fill up the gas tank? Yeah. You know, you mentioned too, that you kind of find yourself going down this rabbit hole. Like when you click on articles and I found that interesting because like you said, these weekly roundups where I started off, I was mentioning before we started recording, but I started off, I, I would never watch news. And then I started adding notifications because I just wanted to stay mm-hmm. up to date with what was going on with COVID numbers. Yeah. But then once you add that along comes all this other news with it. Yeah. And I, I have screen time set on my phone. So, you know, I'm not hearing anything. So once that screen time goes off, everything starts piling in mm-hmm. and it was all those weekly roundups, like you mentioned. And I just, I would just tell myself, like, I'm just going to click on it really quick, just because I want to see somehow you just some- that brief information. Yeah, right. And then you get down <laughs> this rabbit hole where you feel like, yeah. you know, like, I just want to see how many people it is because, you know, there's that whole, like beyond the numbers thing where you kind of look and you're like, and not that it's not that it makes it okay, but maybe if it's two people and not 14, I'll feel a little bit less afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, then start looking deeper into it where I think, what were their ages? You know, maybe I'll feel a little bit less um, anxious if there's no children involved, or let me start reading the names. Like I, I want to start understanding more about the victims because I don't, I don't want to hear about the person that went in there and did those things. So maybe if I can connect on that level, it give me some kind of sense of like, peace but at the same time even me saying it out loud I'm thinking like that just made me more afraid because now I'm understanding the victims and that just makes me feel more sad because you but again like you said you don't want to avoid it you know because those are the people that I feel like we should know about I don't want to know about this guy that walked in there I want to know about these people that we lost and just more on a human level it doesn't really make me feel better but I just find myself deep in that so now when I get the notifications I kind of see it and I have to actively tell myself don't click on it don't see more And I might be thinking about it for a few hours after, like, I really want to know what happened, how many there were, but I know what it does to me, but there's still that part of me where I know I'm not, and I don't know that I, it's something you heal from, but I know I'm just avoiding it. Like you said, I'm not actually like taking it and allowing it to not affect me as much. I'm just avoiding it altogether. Yeah, Yeah. man. I just, every, I took so much of it away from what you just said, because I'm thinking about who we humanize and who we who we don't humanize in the media specifically mm-hmm. right because my shooting was a gang shooting or they say they say that it was a gang related shooting they never found the shooter so it's and you think that if it was a gang related shooting oh you know it it didn't impact innocent people but at the end of the day nobody deserves to get shot right. no matter what they've done or no matter what you know nobody should be able to decide who lives or dies or gets this consequence versus that consequence. Right. Um, in my personal opinion. And it is different when you feel like you can connect with the, with the people who have either survived or lost their lives, because, you know, if it's somebody who has a similar description to you, or if it's somebody is in close proximity to you physically, Or for me, anybody who gets shot in the legs, (laughs) you know, anybody who gets shot in a nightclub or in when they're out at night or when they're on vacation, you know, that's why the Vegas shooting impacted me so much because they were out at night. 
Most people were on vacation. I imagine the survivors in the hospital, there were over, I think there were over 500 survivors in the hospital. And I was remembering for me being out on vacation, being in the hospital, feeling so far away from home and not being able to physically or metaphorically, like feel my feet on the ground, you know, feel anchored in where I was and feel safe, you know? Mm -hmm. So all of the things that come up when we feel like we can connect with the people who have either passed away or survived, it makes it, it's interesting that we get more engaged with that. And also it impacts us in a negative way more. So actually probably boosts the media ratings when they share things that they feel like more people will be able to connect with. Mm -hmm. And also it gives more people anxiety because they can see themselves in those survivors. So it's a little bit jarring in that kind of way. And also, and I don't know if we touched on this when I had you on, but I, I don't think I remember hearing about them not catching the shooter. Yeah. And that was the other thing is that, okay. And I'm going to get in trouble for this. I know there are so many survivors who wholeheartedly disagree with me on this one. I, I totally understand why, you know, people don't want any reporting done on the person who did it. And I understand because we should be caring about the people who survived or the people Mm -hmm. who passed away or their family members, you know, those stories are what should be centered. And especially, you know, we don't talk a lot about people who are injured and survive or what happens in the aftermath or what the recovery is like. We, it's almost like the survivors who are injured disappear into the background and we forget about them, especially when people are disabled, especially when people are um, physically or emotionally impacted by it. But Honestly, I have this need to read about the shooters. I have this desire, and I think it's this desire to understand the why behind it. And there is no why that could ever explain or justify actions like that. And still I have this, you know, it's probably because that because they never found my shooter. I imagine him sometimes, and they say they think it was a retaliation shooting because the man who was killed next to me was, um, I don't know if he was convicted or charged, but a couple of years before he had shot, supposedly shot another man, an 18 year old and paralyzed him. And so they thought the guy that you said was bleeding out next to you. Exactly. Yeah. And they thought that he had shot and, and paralyzed somebody. So they assumed this was a retaliation shooting. They assumed it was gang related because it was all people of color involved. Um, these are the, the things that I heard from the detectives and read in the news reports in the aftermath. And in my mind, you know, years afterwards, when I started to understand cycles of violence mm-hmm. and what pain can turn into when uncared for, when people don't get the compassion or support that they need, I started thinking of my shooter as a survivor himself you know, as somebody who had been impacted in some way by gun violence and didn't have an outlet for that anger and that Mm -hmm. anger. And we've talked about anger before, and I'm excited for us to talk about it today. That anger can plague you. I have been in that dark, dark place. The only thing that stopped me from going full into my anger and honestly probably prevents me from feeling it fully in a healthy way, which I, I think I'm working through being able to actively feel and express my anger mm-hmm. is because I think about my shooter and I think about how much, how angry he had to be, 
you know, how hurt he had to be for how long he had to be hurt and angry in order to bring a gun into a nightclub, you know, and that anger, oh, we don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. And we don't have space to express that anger without people trying to fix it or change it or, you know, break through it. Sometimes you need to let that anger out because if you don't let it out in a healthy way, let it out in an unhealthy way. Mm-hmm. Man, it's terrifying. You know, and I want to jump into that. But before we do, if you can either I can pull it up or if you can pull it up, I actually just saw you repost um, something on your Instagram about how we are struggling in the pandemic and then how we yes. don't understand how people are getting out of prison. Yeah. <laughs> can you pull that up? Absolutely. I thought that was amazing. Oh. Yeah. Actually, I don't have my phone with me. Oh, yes, I have oh, it right here. You got it? Yeah, because I just, I had just did an episode just talking about, you know, prison reform and, you know, we're supposed to do this, put putting people that we think are harmful into prisons, but, you know, what are you doing no to kind of help that? Right, yeah. and then put them back out. I mean, that's, you know, the same reason why even you learn when you have children or when you are a child, if you do something wrong, it's not like you're not supposed to just you spank a kid and throw them in a room and like think about what you did. What if they don't know what they did? Yeah. Yeah. Like you need to talk about, you know, what you find to be wrong or even just sit down with them. Like, Hey, I'm realizing that you're exhibiting this behavior. Like, let's talk about why, because otherwise they're just in there guessing what the reason might be. And even if it's someone that might have, you know, a psychological condition, whatever it is, you might think they know and they don't know. Or even if they do know, like give them the tools, especially if you're going to let them out, whether you think they have the tools or not, give them the tools before you put them back out into the society and expect them to one, be able to, to survive on their own or, or two, not be able to reoffend. Yeah, it's wild to me that we have this expectation that people can heal from any kind, first of all, heal from whatever it is that they did. Because if you do feel remorse for something that you did, that is a lot to work through. And then heal from the experience of being imprisoned, of being scared for your life every single solitary day. I cannot Mm -hmm. even imagine it. And I think, you know, I have um, very, I like to think of them as progressive views on (laughs) prisons and on um, restorative justice versus punitive justice. Mm -hmm. And I do, I, I believe something very controversial. I believe that (laughs) I believe that shooters are survivors. Every single shooter is a survivor because they survived the shooting that they committed. And I know that is a very controversial thing to say. I know. I can see, are you feeling triggered? I can see, I can see your face. And I, I know that it is so hard to feel that and believe that. And sometimes I think, you know, maybe I just feel that because I've never had to face my shooter. And there are people who have had to face their shooters who, you know, or they've lost a loved one, you know, a loved one was taken from them by somebody mm-hmm. and they've had to face that person. And I don't, I will never know what that's like. Well, hopefully I will never know what that's like. I don't know what that's like right now. And still, I believe it. I mean, yes, you're right. I'm feeling a little triggered, (laughs) but also I believe in, you know, theory of mind, learned experience. And I might have a view because I lived a different experience than what you lived. Um, 
I just, like you said, we have, the world has their way of humanizing and dehumanizing people. And mm-hmm. for me, it's it's interesting because there's times where I'm, I try to stay as far away from news as I possibly can. But then there's other days where I'm over here binging on episodes of true crime podcasts, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I will listen to those because I actually went to school for law, <clears throat> just decided to take a different path, but I listened to that. And I don't know that I'm even necessarily listening it, listening to it to understand the victim more or what my thought process is on the offender. But I, I tend to go for the ones that are unsolved because for mm-hmm. me, that helps me like figure out maybe I can find this person based on what their possible motive was, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> but again, we all have these views that can stem from, you know, nature versus nurture, whatever it is, or your experience that you've had. So th- this is one of those situations where I, I would think, I don't know if I would agree, but also I can understand how you get to that conclusion. Like I can understand yeah. how you could have that view or anyone else can have that view. I don't know if it's just because I'm not, I'm not there yet, or I'm just not going to be there, but I, I understand that being a view. Yeah. And I think the thing is, I think it's good and healthy. And uh, I think it's a powerful thing when we disagree on things like this. Like, Mm -hmm. I think it's actually really important for us to be able to have that kind of dialogue. Yeah. I want to hear it. Say it out loud. Say all the things. Tell me what you're thinking about. For sure. For sure. Here, I can't find that post for some reason. Oh, I'm going to pull it up. Okay. Maybe I think I see access to it. It's weird. It's not in my history. Unless it it disappeared before I. Uh, I don't yeah. Know. Why would it disappear? I actually did notice that somebody reacted to my story and it disappeared. Like there, it's not showing what story oh, it is. So I wonder if the person took down the original post. Oh, you know what? Um, um, yeah, I said show. Now I'm wondering if I should like not quote them. Okay. I found it here only because I screenshotted it to show it to somebody. Oh, um, what does it say? Oh, it actually should be in mine too because I reposted it. I yeah. All reposts. Why? What does it say? It says, we're collectively joking about a year of quarantine ruining our social skills and ability to function in the regular world. But we just can't understand how people out of prison after five or 10 or 20 years maladapted, how, how incarceration only continues cycles of harm and I'm like yeah because I in the beginning of the pandemic people were struggling and for some reason I thought to myself am I something wrong with me or am I like not um human enough where I thought I felt like I was thriving not thriving in a sense of oh I'm enjoying not being around my family or you know people are are very sick or dying around us but I just felt like based on the circumstances, I am doing better than I expected myself to be. Mm. And I kept myself busy or, you know, I was going on walks every single day and I changed up to, I'm going to do home workouts in my living room. I'm going to get into yoga now. Like I found ways to keep myself afloat because if someone would have said to me, what would you do if you had to stay in the house for a year, year and a half and couldn't see your family that entire time, I would think all these crazy things. So it was more about I did better than I expected myself to. Um, But then we look at, you know, I still had interaction. I still had FaceTime. 
you know, I still was able to do some of those exercises. I was able to cook for myself and make things that made me feel good. I was able to dance around while I was cleaning and still do things that brought me joy versus solitary confinement. You know, there's still that thing that we need as human beings, whether you're in prison or not, where you need that social interaction and it takes away from who you are as a person. And they don't have any of those things. I mean, yeah, and maybe they sense see of each safety. other. Safety, yeah. exactly. And that this is us a year, what, three months versus like that post said, five, 10, 20 years. And not to say that they might, you know, didn't do something wrong, but you, if you're going to put these people back out or saying, we're going to do this to try to get you to be some quote unquote better person that put you out, you have yeah. to provide the tools, not sit in this space and, and make yourself better and then get out. Absolutely. And I think that that sense of safety is everything because it's it's almost impossible to get out of a fight or flight mind state, which is that survival. I'm going to act from a place of fear, which then, you know, can continue cycles of violence or, you know, create foster more and more anger. Mm -hmm. But that fight or flight mindset, you can't step out of that until you feel safe, until you feel physically safe. And if people don't feel physically safe when they're in a prison. You're then still in the fight or flight. How do you work through that? <laughs> get out right. of it. Yeah. Exactly. And then people get put out on the street afterwards. You know, people don't necessarily have places to stay or solid work opportunities or there's just so much. There's mm-hmm. so much. I have this. Um, I wanted to define this too. Just talking about just defining drama or trauma. Yeah. Defining drama too. <laughs> <laughs> right. Defining trauma and how people individually define trauma but I have this from uh, crisisprevention.com it says individual trauma results from an event series of events or set of circumstances that is experienced by an individual as physically or emotionally harmful or life-threatening and that has lasting adverse effects on the individual's functioning and mental physical social emotional or spiritual well-being yeah so just alone in us talking about prisoners that social, that emotional, that spiritual oh, well-being. It's a traumatic experience. If they don't have, if you're expecting them to use their own tools to get better because you don't provide them those tools, but then they don't, they can't, they're not allowed to use their own tools. Yeah. And what? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. It's wild. It's wild. And I, I don't know. And maybe that's part of what makes me feel over the top compassion for people who, again, not over the top compassion. I realized at one point, all I wanted to do, I was doing this visioning exercise. Okay. I'm going to tell you something that I was trying to do. Okay. I was trying to do it for myself because I do think that forgiveness is really important. I do think that, you know, it's, it's part of our healing process and some people get there. Some people don't, and I have no judgment over, you know, whether people get there or not, it's Mm -hmm. totally up to them and what feels right for them. I really wanted to forgive my shooter. I really wanted to feel at peace with it. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to do this visioning exercise. I had done this one where I decided to go to all of the, I would close my eyes and I would go to all of these points of my life where I was struggling the most, you know, where I was at my, you know, for that period of time, what felt like a rock bottom. And I went to those different periods of time in my head with my eyes closed. And I just was there for myself. And I allowed myself to kind of comfort myself in that moment and remind myself of, where I would be eventually, you know, everything's going to be okay in the end, that kind of thing. And then I thought, okay, what if I went to the moment that I was 
being shot. Ooh. And and I instead of just comforting myself, what if I went to my shooter? So okay. I decided to do this visioning exercise. I am not, I am not known for my great timing. Okay. <laughs> so I tend to struggle when, when I have an idea, I want to just do it right in that moment. So I have really funny stories of times you that know, I've yeah, to tell this- you my husband. Okay, good. Yeah, I was going to say, it actually made me think about when you told me you were sitting with your husband, like, I want to talk about it. And then he fell asleep because he told me he was tired and I didn't listen. So here's another, another time where I was like, I have this great idea. I just want to do it because I get, I, when I'm ready to heal, I really want to do it. I want to go all in. I want to work through something and get to the other side of it because I recognize triggers as opportunities to heal something. And if I, if I don't have to live with this trigger one more day, I don't want to. So I was on an airplane. You don't want to feel like you missed your chance, right? Like I remember I told you here, I feel it. I'm ready. What did I say? I might cancel this recording, right? I don't know if I'm there yet, but then I'm like, I'm going to do it. Yes. (laughs) And I feel like that's important. Doing it in the right timing is important. Now, right timing for me usually feels like it should be right in that moment. I am learning slowly, but surely every time I do something ridiculous that it's not always in the moment. Maybe it's <laughs> during a time that feels, you know, safer in some kind of way. <laughs> Anyways, I was on an airplane. I had just gotten onto the airplane. People were, you know, the people next to me were already sitting down. I closed my eyes and I was like, all right, I'm going to do this, this visioning thing right now. So I closed my eyes and I imagine myself going to this, the man that was actively shooting the gun. And I tried to imagine myself, I was approaching him and all of a sudden, sudden I heard this like bang and I jumped up and screamed. I jumped out of my seat and screamed. And it was somebody that had put their thing in the overhead bin and closed the overhead. (laughs) (laughs) And the guy was so apologetic. He's like, I'm so sorry. And then I felt ridiculous. Yeah, because I, I freaked out, you know, because I had brought myself into a moment in not a safe, quiet space in the middle of everywhere. So again, little by little, I'm learning, don't do these things in the middle of public, wait till you're in a quiet space. And ideally with somebody else, because if something happens and I have a panic attack or something, I want somebody who knows how to kind of help me through that. Mm -hmm. So, cause there have been other times where I've, I've done other things where I didn't have anybody there. So again, I learn little by little, I'm learning these things. And with this visioning exercise, I thought I want to go to him and I want to, I want to hold him. I want to hug him. I want to comfort him. And I tried to do this in a safe space. And all I could feel was rage. Every time I tried to approach him during this exercise that I was doing, all I could feel was rage. And I realized I'm trying to jump to compassion, but I haven't let out all my rage yet. Like I haven't let myself feel as angry as I am. I haven't let myself do it. And even though in the past, in the past year, I've done a really good job of expressing it when I feel really, when I'm feeling it boiling up, Mm -hmm. I think I've done a really good job of letting it out. I still don't think I'm there yet. So I say that I believe that shooters are survivors and I really do like mentally from a logical place, I believe that shooters are survivors, but emotionally I'm not all the way there yet. So even though I'm sounding like this Zen person, that's kind of 
gone above all the, the anger and all of the, whatever Mm -hmm. I want to get to that place at some point. I think that that place happens after reconciliation. And that's why, you know, someday, somehow I would love to be able to face my shooter. You know, maybe I need, maybe I need to see him feeling some kind of remorse. Maybe I need to see him break down and cry. I, I don't know yeah. what I need to see or feel. Maybe he needs, maybe I need to hear him say, I'm sorry and mean it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I'll never fully forgive him. Um, it's, I don't, I don't feel like it plagues my life on a daily basis, but I do feel like I would like to fully get there at some point. Maybe it'll be a visioning exercise. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, like I said, it's, it's, I'm not there, but also I haven't lived your experience. Um, I remember, oh, I can't remember who it was, but I remember being younger. Maybe I was early twenties and mm-hmm. I said something to this lady and I remember saying like, you know, I feel like, I don't think everyone's, I don't think anyone's born bad. Yeah. You know, I think everyone is either good or has the potential to be good and something happened along the way and mm-hmm. I remember she placed I don't I wish I could remember who it was it placed her hand on my shoulder and she was like oh you're so naive you know and I just oh, I'm like I still believe that yeah and I'm like am I though or are you you know not, and not even in a rude way but just to like yeah I think she heard my statement as more of a blanket just you know like did it really think about the depth of what I was saying um because again, something usually does happen along the way, even if yes. it's, even if it's the moment of birth, you know, I think even if, if the mo- moment of birth, if there's some traumatic thing that then slowly starts to fizzle, placing that child then in an environment that can kind of nurture or help that traumatic experience can really go a long way, you know, and Absolutely. a lot of people hide what they're feeling, you know, or, think they have a safe space to talk about what they're feeling and they find out that that's not a safe space and that can Mm -hmm. like maybe you're slowly trying to get out of that trauma and then you talk about it and someone tells you you know you're stupid or you know you're overreacting and then that sets you back maybe further than you were before you know yeah and where's a safe space to talk about shooting people right like where are you gonna find compassion (laughs) right exactly and I think we could you know, every day someone can walk outside like that person's weird or they do this thing and we're constantly judging, right? But if you had a situation, say, you know, something happened to someone that I care about and then I'm walking outside and I'm like kind of talking to myself, thinking about like, I can't believe this just happened or I'm kind of looking at people funny because I'm trying to process what happened. And then this couple next to me is like, look at this weirdo over here, you know, looking around yeah you don't know what that person went through you know so just as like you would want that grace you have to give it to someone else and maybe it'll be harder maybe I might not be as um it might not be as come as easy to me to give grace to someone that was a you know shooter versus someone that hit my car or whatever the case may be you know but you have to we have to allow that safe space and it's not to say that everyone can do it but there has to be that somewhere. space wherever it is somewhere and we have yeah. plenty of uh, of you know organizations and things where the, that's available yeah. for some people but not everyone right exactly mm-hmm. and I think 
And I think here's, here's one of the struggles. I think that there are times where I try to jump to compassion too quickly. And because Mm -hmm. of that, I think there is some kind of balance and now I'm getting all philosophical and we'll see if it makes any sense, whatever I say, but I think there is some kind of balance where it's people do things that hurt other people. Right. And if those people that are being hurt are constantly compassionate, these people that are hurting people are just going to keep doing it. There needs to be mm-hmm. a, a back and forth, right? So that anger needs to be able to exist. That anger can stop people from doing bad things. That anger can check people because people need to be checked sometimes. So I, it's not that, you know, there are some kind of gurus that are like, oh, everything is love. Everything is compassion. Everything is forgiveness. And I, I run the risk sometimes of feeling like I come across that way when that's not how I feel at all. I do believe that there is, it's an important back and forth and you don't have to always be the one that's going to be supporting the people that are doing the bad things. Right. Like you said, you said there are places that that person can find support. It's important that we make those places available to everyone. Right. And I think that's one of the biggest problems is that those places aren't available to everyone. And what I found being a survivor and working with other survivors is that those places aren't even available to all survivors. So there are survivors that are plagued with guilt who feel so terrified to say out loud what they're struggling with because they feel like, okay, this, this, and this are things that I did wrong. If I hadn't done those things wrong, then the shooting would have never took place. Mm -hmm. or my friend wouldn't have died or, you know, fill in the blank. (laughs) Or I just wish that I was the one who had died and not the person who did. There's so much guilt that's involved there. And there are so few people that feel comfortable sharing their full stories out loud. Yeah. And when you hear it happen, we have this clubhouse room on the first and third Sunday of every month. Mm -hmm. Um, for survivors of gun violence and we just open it up and let anybody who wants to come up on stage share their stories most people don't understand that a survivor is anybody who's been impacted by gun violence in any way that's how we define it and you have so many people who come up on stage and share their stories for the first time and say things like I didn't even know there were places where people talked about these things you know or I didn't even know that I could say this out loud You know, I haven't left my house in two years since the shooting took place, or I hate the shooter with all of my heart. And I feel nothing but anger inside, nothing but anger and never will forgive him ever in my life. And just having a space where you could say all of that out loud and nobody's going to tell you what's right or wrong. Nobody's going to try to fix you. You can just Mm -hmm. say it out. It's so powerful because it ends up being so healing for everybody that comes into that space, but we need more of them. Yeah, because that you can't help how you feel, right? Even if you personally want to work on it, if you don't feel comfortable to say what you're feeling or you say it and then someone says you can't feel that way, then you feel like, well, what's wrong with me, right? And that's how you let out that unhealthy emotion. Yeah, or if people jump to that compassion too quickly and they're like, oh, but it's such a blessing that you're here or, you know, they're in a better place or say those things that are, I don't feel that, you know, I don't feel that right now. Yeah. Somebody who watched their child being killed does not feel that and probably won't anytime soon. And that is okay. And they are allowed to feel all the rage. Cause I don't, I, there's nothing worse that I can imagine in the world. Mm-hmm. 
And we need space for people to be able to feel all that rage because, you know, eventually the people around you will start being like, okay, it's time to move on. But, you know, parents don't really, yeah, they don't get to decide that. You don't get to just get over that after, you know, two, three months or even five, six years. It's, it's people have different processes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you telling me that you, when you got shot and you were in the hospital, people just kept telling you, oh, you're so lucky. Yeah. You know, well, this person, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, I don't feel lucky. Like, right? I understand this happened, but I, like, I, I just got shot. Like, Yeah, I was on vacation. There were 600 people in that club and three of them got shot and I was one of them just because. <laughs> you know, it's not even yeah. like, I mean, at the time I felt like maybe I was targeted. I was like, did I do something wrong? I went up to that group and asked them for a chair. Was I interrupting something? Did, did somebody get angry at me? I, I fully internalized all of it. I thought it was all my fault, mm-hmm. but I was like, then I'm not feeling very lucky. I'm not feeling blessed. I'm not feeling any of those things. And at the time I was feeling so guilty for surviving when people said that I was so blessed to be alive. I was like, I don't feel blessed. I don't feel like I even want to be alive. I'm not sure why I am. I'm not sure why me and not him, you know, why did he yeah. die? And I survived you know, so people say that stuff and of course they're well-meaning and it's all, it's expected, right? People are going to say whatever they want to say to make you feel better in the aftermath of something bad. Although I wish that people would just hold space because that's the most important thing that we can do. However, having spaces where people understand how you feel and validate how you feel, it's powerful. That's really powerful. You have something here about, you know, fear of anger turning into your shooter, safe ways to express it. I want to go over the personal trauma definition. And then if we can jump into just how we can, you know, normalize it all, these safe ways or how the safe ways that you've even been um, expressing your own anger. Uh, But the personal trauma here says how the individual experiences and is affected by something, So it is not for someone else to decide what causes someone trauma. The most important thing is to acknowledge your trauma and address it early on. If you work on trauma based on if someone else agrees, it is what you are experiencing. You cannot let the situation fester or you can let the situation fester. Sorry. Mm -hmm. It's simple. Let's say it's something like a heartbreak. This is what I was thinking of. And I've always been an advocate of going through dealing with the things and going around it. Right. And you think of maybe someone that says, you know, I'm heartbroken and I'm just going to go out and drink because I want to avoid what just happened yeah. and I'm going to mm-hmm. drink. And then what happens while you're drinking, you're crying mm-hmm. or you're raging. It's going to surface somehow. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then you're, you're just drunk and screaming. Like, I'm so mad about this. And then you go home and then you're hungover and then you wake up and you just realize what you did last night and how it didn't help at all. Right. Yeah. So of course everyone has their experience. I, I can't, I'm giving an example, but I also can't judge if someone says like, I want to avoid it for a little bit because you're still in that shock. But also I think it's really healthy and correct me if I'm wrong based on your own situation. But at some point you have to, at least, even if you don't want to do it today or next week know that you're going to have to deal with the trauma because trying to avoid it forever is only going to harm you more than help you. Yeah. Some people do. Some people avoid it their whole lives, but it pops up in other ways. You know, it pops up as physical 
ailments or it pops up as, you know, anger that comes out at random times, feeling uncontrollable about random things. And you don't really know what it's about. And it's about whatever it is that's been triggering you. Yeah. I think so. It's interesting for me. I did a great job of avoiding it, man. I avoided that for a solid 10 years, give or take some times where it it rose to the surface and I tried Mm -hmm. to do something about it, but I didn't have the tools or resources that I needed. Um, for me, I've found that with survivors who have been physically injured. So if you've experienced some kind of physical trauma, I've always found that it's important to feel stable physically before you even have the capacity to deal with the emotional side of things. Okay. So that physical, just feeling like, okay, I've got, I've got a handle on this. I now feel comfortable with the way of life that I'm living with my body, the way that it feels or the way that it is. Um, before things, before you have that emotional capacity to be able to face things like that. Now, is that the way that it is for everybody? I don't know. Probably not. I'm sure there are some magical people who can, you know, (laughs) deal with the physical and the emotional at the same time. But I've found for myself, definitely that the times where I've been physically injured, I had to wait until I was feeling stable until I can start thinking about. And honestly, I wasn't waiting for the emotions to come up. Once I was physically stable, that's when the emotions started just piling to the top. And I, um, so you feel like your timeline played out the way it was supposed to, or do you feel like she would have done it sooner than the 10 years? Or do you feel like it came when it was supposed like for you? I think both of those things are true. I think if I could redo it, hell yeah, I'd do it sooner. Oh my goodness. I would save myself a decade of of turmoil if I had done it sooner. I do think it played out the way it was supposed to because I think it was important for me to, I, I you know, I believe that everything happens in the time that it's supposed to. Yeah. But I, I also believe it was important for me to have that 10 years of not addressing it so that I could understand how other people could wait so long before it surfaces. I meet survivors who got shot 40 years ago. And it's all surfacing right now. You don't know when it's going to surface or when it's going to trigger. You also can look back and be like, wow, I actually was triggered all these times and was somehow strong enough. I'm putting strong in quotes because that's what we think of as strength, right? To keep Mm -hmm. pushing it down. So I, I was somehow strong enough in quotes to push it down for 10 years. I had panic attacks. I would run screaming and crying. I had all kinds of things come up. But because I didn't know how to work through them, I was just, can I close my window really quick? Cause do you yeah. hear that? Yeah. Okay. I hear it like a lawnmower. <laughs> okay. Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. I could just hear it buzzing in my microphone. Okay. Because I didn't know how to work through them. All I knew to do was to push them down. And I didn't have anybody sitting there telling me, but you're a survivor. And that these things that are coming up for you are called triggers. I didn't even know the word trigger. I didn't know the word trauma. I didn't know PTSD. I didn't know any of those things. All of that lingo was so far from my everyday life. And even if I did, I knew the word um, violent crime. I remember hearing the word violent crime and I was like, I guess I am a victim of a violent crime. That's weird. Okay. I just kind of (laughs) went Mm -hmm. going on with my day, you know, and didn't really think about the fact about what that means to be a victim of a violent crime. Mm -hmm. And 
that once I knew what triggers were, once I knew what trauma and PTSD were, I thought, okay, now I want to sit down and I want to heal it all. Like I said, when I'm ready, I'm ready. I just wanted to dive in and just heal it all. And what I found from going through that, you know, I think every, everybody finds their own path and finds what works well for them. Once I found something that worked well for me and then became some things that work well for me, I, I wanted to sit down and just purge everything. But the truth is you don't necessarily know what triggers are inside you until they surface. And when a trigger surfaces, it means that that feeling has been stuck in your body for however long it's been and you have a choice you can push it back down into your body or you can heal it and you can work through it and let it go and so I learned that triggers are going to rise triggers are going to surface and if I I make a choice in the moment and there are still times where I choose to push them back down that's because I'm not in a safe space to be able to work through it Mm -hmm. it's because I don't feel like I'm ready and I tell myself I don't I don't want to right? We Mm -hmm. all do that. Um, It's because I need to reach out to somebody else to help me work through it because it's too heavy or too much for me. There are a number of reasons why I'll choose to put the back down, push it back down. Mm -hmm. But when they surface and I choose to work through them and let them go, I feel lighter. I feel bigger. I feel more expansive. And I'm not afraid of that trigger anymore. That trigger is, it's not going to be a trigger for me. And I know that because I can then bring up that same subject and I don't feel the emotions in my body. I'm not, I'm not having a physical reaction to it at all. Do you have moments where, for example, you just said like, that's not going to be a trigger for you. Do you have moments where you almost sense, like, you know, in that moment, like I've just addressed this trigger and, and for lack of a better word fixed the trigger or like, or, or cured it, or are there times where, you know, okay, this is something where I've, I've been able to address it in this moment, but I know it's going to continuously come up for me. It's something I haven't worked through. Like, do you know when in that moment you've worked through something? I know when I've worked through something because I can, I can re-trigger myself. Like, let's say for example, that if I say we use the trigger that was, you know, all, all shooters are survivors. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I believe all shooters are survivors. I would believe most shooters are survivors. But anyways, <laughs> let's use that trigger. If I say that again and you feel no feeling in your body. So, you know, have you ever felt feelings in your body? It's like all of a sudden you get this feeling in your stomach. Oh, yeah. Or you get a feeling in your tight, you're tightening in your chest. You get a feeling in your throat where you feel like, oh, it's like a knot in my throat. So if you feel that feeling, then it's not resolved. Again, this is my belief. This is this is through the methods that I I feel like yeah. really work well for me. So if I can sense. bring up that topic again and I don't have any, I feel neutral about it, then I know that I've worked through that feeling fully and that mm-hmm. 10 years from now, unless I've experienced another trauma, that is not going to be a trigger for me. I'm going to feel fine. I can I can feel it when something is triggering me. And I've trained myself to be able to understand my body well enough or be in tune to my body well enough to know when a trigger comes up for me. So I can tell the difference between you just said something that I disagree with versus you just said something that's making me feel a lot of feelings. And my reaction is probably going to be bigger because I'm reacting from a place of feeling versus a place of, "Mm, I just, I logically that doesn't make sense to me. So I think that's important because when you originally said, I believe all shooters are survivors. I had this feeling because 
maybe I didn't really know what you meant by that. And maybe I wouldn't look as thinking all of them are, maybe I would think a small Mm. percentage are, but we needed to have that conversation to kind of understand where the other one was coming from, because we might have the same view. Maybe I just wouldn't have used the, the word survivor. Maybe I would have just seen it as something else. But if you would have just said, I believe all shooters are survivors, put your hand up like, oh, we're going to the next topic. I would have had this thing festering inside of me because I don't know what you meant. And now I might just be thinking, are you just giving them a pass? Are you just saying like, it's okay because they're hurt? And we need to have that conversation to understand where you're saying, no, I see that they have a trauma. No, it's not okay that they're shooting people, Mm -hmm. but there's something that we need to be addressing here. So having that conversation with anything, because there's a lot of of conflict going on right now in the world. And the biggest part is having that conversation because we can all have different views, but it's not about a right versus wrong, right? It's about like, let's just talk about it. Because maybe if I hear your, your experience, then I'll understand how you got there. And oh, well, I was raised this way. So this is how I have my experience. But I completely understand if I were in your shoes or, or had this experience, I'd probably have the exact same view. So now I see you. Mm. And that's so important. Oh my goodness. So that brings me to uh, a piece about expressing anger, right? And we talked a little bit about expressing anger and why expressing anger can be really important because it shows somebody that you're, you're hurting that person, right? The expressing mm-hmm. that anger to stand up against whatever it is that you're doing to hurt them. Yeah. Right. So I feel like there are a bunch of different ways to express anger in a healthy way. And we talk about sometimes private ways to do it. Like some things that I like to do are, I like to, I, one thing is I like to yell from the bottom of my stomach. I don't know how to say it, but like <laughs> open up everything in me and just yeah. roar. Yeah. Roar mm-hmm. in anger in a place where look, if there's anybody around me, they know what I'm doing, you know, or ideally there's nobody around me. I'm just letting it all out. And it feels really good to me to kind of do it in that way. But another thing that I think is really interesting is I like, if I can break something, it feels really good. So we had a, uh, wall in our backyard that needed to be broken down. So we Mm -hmm. took this, what do you call those big mallets? Whatever they're called. Anyways, we took these and we started breaking it and yelling while we were breaking it. The whole family did it. And it felt so good because it was last year during a lot of the Black Lives Matter protests. And there was so much that was coming up about police violence and gun violence, you know, pulled together in, Mm -hmm. you know, multiple ways. There were so many things that were coming up for me and coming up for my kids and coming up for my husband. And so we were all out there swinging these mallets, whatever they're called, and just like an axe screaming. Have- Not an axe. What are they? It's like a big, heavy end to it. And it's a I'm long- sure somebody's yelling yeah, at, somebody at the podcast it. saying, yeah, what it is. they'll write it in the comments or something. I know. <laughs> this is what it is. You guys just don't know. Anyways, we were doing that. And I got in a conversation with my friend Chantrice and we were talking about expressing anger and how we have this, you know, we're so much more willing to say mean things to somebody else than we are to break stuff when it comes to expressing anger. She was like, if I sat, I don't know if she said this or if I said this, we were laughing about the fact that if one of us came home and we were really angry. And we went through the house, just breaking stuff, just breaking stuff. Cause we were angry. Mm-hmm. And my husband came home. He would look at me like I had lost my damn mind. 
Like he would, he, there's no explaining away the fact that I just broke half the things in our house. However, if I came home and I yelled at him and said something really mean to him, it would be easier to work through that than it would to work through the fact that I had broken things. It's this value that we place on stuff or we over the value that we place on the people in our lives sometimes And you see that when it comes to protests and rioting and looting and things Mm -hmm. that involve breaking objects to, in order to be seen, you know, or breaking objects in order to express anger versus looting people's bodies or looting people's emotions. Like we watch people get killed every single day. You know, we all say mean things to other people sometimes. Yeah. And yet when we break things, it's like unforgivable. <laughs> and we're expected to what we, what we think is happening, right? Like how you said, it's easier to work through you saying something hurtful to your husband versus all the things you broke, but at least that's what we make ourselves believe, right? Mm, yeah. Because if it's like- It feels more socially acceptable, right? It seems yeah. like it would be. Imagine I have, you know, I'm thinking um, my sister, you know, and she says some really nasty, hurtful things to me. And then people are just like, oh, they just had an argument, you know, versus if she came in and didn't just, you know, I had nice dishes all over the table. We're ready to eat. She just came through and slid her arm across and knocked all my dishes on the ground. And then that's going to be the thing I remember. Meanwhile, what if those hurtful things she said to me stick with me for the rest of my life? Because they were going to know because they're like, oh, that's just an argument. No, a new set of triggers to work through. (laughs) Exactly. And every time I see her and even if I think she's, you know, she's about to just get really excited. I think she's going to start screaming at me. Who cares about those dishes? This is in me for life now, you know? Right. That's what we make ourselves think. Words yeah. are hurt. That's why they say like abuse or like domestic violence. People say like, oh, the bruises, you know, that's painful and everyone's hurt. And it's like this, it's the verbal abuse. That's what's sticking with you. And it's even more painful because people can't see it. You can see the bruises just because yes. you can't see the words that were said to them doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Yes. Two, we have these two sayings in our culture and I'm in American culture that I think are ridiculous. Okay. One of them is sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt me. That's one. And the other one is time heals all wounds. Okay. Like actually <laughs> healing heals all wounds. Working right. through something heals yeah. all wounds. Just because it's been 50 years doesn't mean that you've worked through whatever it is that you're struggling yeah. with. And just because somebody said something to you instead of breaking something, it doesn't mean that it's not going to stay with you. Right. And we belittle the, the those time and avoidance is supposed to heal me too. <laughs> right. Or exactly. I've had some pretty harsh things said to me. I'd rather just get hit with a stick and get it over with. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> so no. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. All of it's all traumatizing. I mean, at the mm. end of the day, it's all traumatizing, but pretending that words aren't going to hurt you, I think is what we're downplaying the emotional impact that we have when we're actually emotionally hurting somebody. Or even people, you know, there are some people that will say, well, I'm just, you know, I'm not sensitive or like those, you know, words don't hurt me. I'm fine. I'm tough whatever. Mm -hmm. But I also think, and maybe this is, you know, not again, probably not the truth for everyone, but I think if I say, oh, you know, like when I was in elementary school, there were times where I would get picked on. Right. And it's not, a, it doesn't affect my life now, but I know at the time I'm like, man, this is so terrible. Like, I just want to go to school. And like, why are this, why is this group of kids picking on me? But 
does that mean that there's like a small bit that still affects me at the fact that if I could remember certain things that were said to me or if it's like yeah. you know what I mean how much does the memory play into like if it's still affecting you maybe Absolutely. I can say this these kids were picking on me but if I can tell you if I can list out like five things that were said or remember the kids names does that mean that there's still something for me to work through or does that just mean I have a really good memory then what yeah, I think the question is, do you have feelings when you say it, right? It's, it's, is yeah. it still triggering you when those things come up? If somebody came up to you right now and said those same things, would it, would it still impact you? I you think, know? yeah, I have one specific, I'm not going to say it on the podcast. Oh, say it. <laughs> but I have one, one Face specific. it and work though. Or is it, does it feel triggering when you say it out loud? That one probably does. Yeah. The rest of them won't, but there's one that probably does. But, you know, I think the reason why that one particularly can is because it was someone that I thought we were closer, you know, um, there's something that I actually just told someone, uh, that I, I find to be very helpful for me and whether you have some media presence, social media, or just in life in general, And maybe this can sound like I'm kind of desensitizing myself, but take, you know, say for example, you've got a million followers on Instagram, right? And you, you post a video, you do your, you do belly dancing, right? Mm -hmm. And you post a video and you're like, I'm having a great day. Like, I'm really loving this. Like, I want to post, I want to share. And you've got a hundred people no, Johan, this was amazing. You're so talented. Please put out more. You're so beautiful. But you got that one person. But you got that one person. <laughs> There's always right? that one or person. Or let's say 10 people, right? That are like, this is trash. You don't know what you're doing. Oh my, like you stop trying to show your bot or whatever the case may be. All right? the things. All yep. the things. Mm-hmm. But let's say this, let's say it's 90 people with saying good things, 10 people that are not, right? Mm-hmm. These hundred people, let's say they don't know you. Mm-hmm. you can feel that uh, um, appreciative of those 90 people that said those good things but I feel like there's a level of desensitizing that I do where I'm not going to allow those 90 people that don't know me when they say all these amazing things for it to make me feel so amazing where I'm now on cloud nine I'm like I'm unstoppable because I feel like if I let those strangers affect me so much in that positive way, I'm going to let those 10 that were trying to bring me down also affect me. Like there has to be that level of, you know, you can't allow strangers words to affect you too much regardless. Yeah. So if I don't I feel that, that confident today and then like these 90 strangers tell me I'm amazing, it's like, you're sweet, but also you just follow me for maybe, you know, the brands I'm working with or how I dress but you don't really know me. So you telling me all these things that you think are so great about my personality. It's, it's sweet, but how, how real is it? And that way I don't take those bad things and make me feel a bad way either. Like the people whose words really are going to impact me are my close family and friends, people that actually know me actually know if I'm sweet. Yeah. They've known me my whole life. They're going to tell me the things and those are the ones going to actually stick with me. Wow. I actually appreciate that. I think that that to me, it sounds healthy. I'm I'll be honest, you know, I try to stay out of the comment section, but I don't do a great job of it. And when you get that couple of comments, it's like, oh, yeah. But the I think the thing that I I want to work through better is not letting any of those people impact what I choose to do the next day. And I think that's yeah. the difference. Like I, I want to be able to internalize the gratitude for having these people who are saying great things, but 
internalizing or taking that feedback as a, this is how you should or should not be in the world. This is how you should or should not be expressing yourself in the world. This is what you should or should not say. I think that gets really dangerous. And um, there's so much input, especially as a woman in this world Mm -hmm. where people will constantly try to tell you what you can or can't do or what you should or shouldn't do. And it, it's overwhelming. If you try to listen to everybody, you'd be twisting in pretzels, not knowing which way to go or, yes. you know, who to be on any given day. So it's, I need to put that on a shirt, man. <laughs> it feels like an active pride. You just p- put a picture of yourself trying to make a pretzel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's right. me trying to like be a the, woman in this world. Game? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like it's, it's an active practice for me because it doesn't, for me, every single day, I have to try to center myself and remind myself of who I want to be, who I'm choosing to be. My choice, the one that I want to be is fully expressed in this world. I want to be fully self-expressed in this world. And I'm not there yet. I'm working on it, but I'm not there. I still feel the impact of people's comments, either from today or from 20 years ago. You know, when I was younger, And I had people making comments about what I should or shouldn't be wearing or, you know, when I can or can't dance or, you know, whatever comments people make. Um, I mean, it's not foolproof, right? I I just reverted back to something from elementary school. So it's not, it's not foolproof, but I think it's something that, you know, it's a tool that you can use. It's a great tool. Versus someone that might be so deep into every little comment can affect them. Or like you said, even if it's just one comment versus the 10 in my example, you know? Because it's, you know yourself. And at the end of the day, there's always going to be people that want to bring you down. There is one of one, uh, you know, quote in our culture could be misery loves company, that that can hold true. Yeah, all that's the time, true. Which is and based on what we're even talking about. Like hurt people, hurt people, all hurt those things. Hurt people, hurt people. And I yeah. think also hurt people do a really good job of trying to protect other people in their lives and protecting often comes across as policing right? Like in order to protect you, Mm -hmm. I need to make sure and women do it to each other. Women are the best at policing each other because nobody knows how scary and dangerous it can be to be a woman in this world besides women, besides the people who have survived it. Oh yeah. Right. So, you know, we're good at policing each other and trying to keep each other safe, but in an effort to keep each other safe, we keep each other small. Oh yeah. And we need to be able to yeah. trust each other enough to allow us to expand, to allow each other to expand, knowing that we're going to be okay. Whatever we survive, we're going to find a way to thrive on the, in, on the other side of it. Hopefully, ideally. <laughs> okay. Before we wrap part one, I want to be, make sure that we address um, the fact that, look, we all think that we're going to find that thing that heals us immediately. We think that we're going to be able to work through things or, you know, maybe we think that it's impossible. One of the two, but in the Mm -hmm. aftermath of something traumatizing, you want to be able to find something that helps you work through all the emotions that come up for you. And for me, I struggled finding something that works. I don't know if I told you, but I've been, I tried therapy after my shooting 
I tried therapy for many times in the aftermath, whenever I was struggling, there were times that something worked for me. And there were times where it really didn't work at Mm. all because I really wasn't connecting with the person or whatever process they were using. And even when I was ready, where I was like, all right, this was 10, 11 years after my shooting. I was like, all right, I'm ready to find the thing that's going to work. I made like four appointments in one week with four different kinds of methods. I was trying EMDR. I was trying rim therapy. I was trying peace processing. I was trying all of these different techniques Mm. because I was again, so determined to find something. It almost felt like people were Frankensteining my emotions. Like I'll come out of these different sessions. And I, I felt like crap after coming out of a session that didn't feel like it worked well for me. And so something that I started doing I think there's a strength in that, to be honest, because you mentioned it before how you said you don't have the best timing of when you want to do something. But I think there's that strength in you don't want to wait. You're ready to do the work. And I think there's there's power in that alone. Like maybe it's not working out in the time that you wanted to, but you're ready. Like, let's let's do this. Yeah, man. It took me 11 years to get to that point. (laughs) But you were trying that. You didn't give up. Yeah. Before that's true. That is very true. And before that I would try therapy, like maybe once every couple of years where I would get real so bad that I couldn't get through my day that I knew I needed something. And I'm sure it helped. It helped a little bit because it got me through that time period, but I didn't find any methods that felt really good to me. And I learned along the way that I needed something that I was in control of. I needed something where if it was two in the morning and I was struggling with something, I would have the tools to be able to address whatever it was that I was struggling with. So it took me a long time to figure that out. It was part of me feeling safe. I needed to feel like I had control over my own recovery because I didn't feel comfortable with somebody else having the control over, over healing me or working me through something. Cause I could come out of it and not feel great afterwards. And I felt helpless. So for me, as I was going through this process of trying, it was almost like a, are you my mommy, are you my mommy kind of process? Are you the thing that's going to work for me? You know, as I was going through that, I started doing something call, that I call fail And it was every time I face another failure, because man, I failed so much, which I think is a power, it is a resilience, but failing can be so painful. And it felt so painful every time I failed. I was not good at failing and getting back up again. But when I decided to failabrate, it was this. It meant every time I failed, I celebrated the fact that I tried. I allowed myself to recognize failure as another step, even though it didn't work, it was another step closer to where I ultimately wanted to be because, you know, I, I was process of elimination. I was learning what wasn't working for me. Yeah. And I called myself out. I would tell people, Hey, tried this didn't work. I'm celebrating. I would dance it out. I would cry. I would feel all the feelings. And I would know that at the end of my celebration, meaning whenever I was ready to feel done with failing, I was going to get back up again and try again because I decided to make failing fun. So I'm sharing this to say that if, you know, any of the listeners or anybody who hears this at any point is struggling with finding something that actually works for them, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not a one size fits all when it comes to healing. Everybody uses different methodologies. And for me, I love finding new ones. I find new ones everywhere now. But finding that first one that worked for me 
was so powerful and it took a lot of failures to get to that point. Mm -hmm. So as much as you need to celebrate, call yourself out, dance it out, cry a little bit in the process, recognize failure as a step closer, your process of elimination and know that eventually you will find, as long as you never stop trying, you will find something that works for you. And then you'll be able to eliminate triggers as they come up for you. You won't have to you know, hold them inside you and wait till they continue to resurface. You don't have to avoid them. You see them as an invitation and you can start clearing them out. I love that. When we move on to, or when we have part two, I want to jump into what you had mentioned earlier to like our correlation with trauma to protests. And then also this community building. Um, I want to mention something to you too. And I noticed this in the last time that we recorded And I was explaining this to my mom the other day. I don't know how you do it, but you have this gift of going from like, let's talk about something that gives us this deep sadness. And then next thing you know, you got me laughing. I don't know how you do it. And it's never like, it's never like I'm crying. And then you say this inappropriate thing that's now supposed to be funny. You like feel this deep sadness. And then five minutes later, you got a smile on your face and you're like, how did she... How did she do that? I don't know how you do it, but it's great. It's so great. Oh, thank you for that. You know what I probably, I think it probably is. I think it's that I used to avoid stuff so much that I would only surface level things. And I think when you let yourself go all the way into the deep, dark place Mm -hmm. and come all the way back into the light kind of place, it's, and I don't like the the connotation of those words. I got you. Yeah. But anyways, (laughs) I think that I, I don't know. I think you allow people to come on that journey with you a little bit. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm happy that I'm more self-expressed now than I ever was before. And I'm more unafraid of expressing all of it and Mm -hmm. going into any, like, there's no question that you could ask where I would say, I don't, I don't want to talk about that question. Yeah. I'll talk about it. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but we're going to find a way to talk through it. And if it's a trigger, then I got something to do today. I got something to heal today. (laughs) So I appreciate that. Thank you. 